welcome to Ultiverse of Q, your guide to the ultimate universe. Now in podcast form, I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this week we're talking about... Ultimate Spider-Man, as well as The Ultimates. And I realize that we have not been super good about putting up content warnings for the episodes, so here is a content warning. Uh, people are going to be eaten, there's assault, and a lot of other really, really bad stuff. Also, there's going to be good Spider-Man stuff, and that's not a warning. That is a promise, because always good Ultimate Spider-Man stuff. You never need to get a warning for a good Ultimate Spider-Man content, because there's always good Ultimate Spider-Man content. Except for the episodes where we don't cover Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. So, this week, week we're reading off on Ultimate Spider-Man numbers 20-32, who were written by Brian Michael Bendis, with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Arthur Bear, colors by Transparency Digital, and letters by the very, very good lettering man, Chris Eliopoulos. And the first issue is a single issue uh, titled Sidetracked. So while Peter's in the library, Mary Jane alerts him that a supervillain known as the Rhino in a robotic rhino suit was attacking the bank. So Peter goes to change into a costume. But after he gets it out of his locker, he runs Aunt May, who is at the school, school there for a parent-teacher meeting, meeting that he called into because he's been seeming distracted in class. When he is asked why he needs to go right now and why he seems so distracted right there in the meeting, he says that he has to help a foreign exchange student with chemistry, so he is excused. He walks towards the door when he almost runs into a teacher and the track coach, so he has to run to the cafeteria where he sees that the rhino is so attacking downtown. He leaves and finds Gwen crying in the trash outside of the kitchen, and when he tries to figure out what is going on with her, she is having a lot of emotions that he does not have time for because her mom is leaving her dad and it's all because her mom hates her family. Peter says that he wants to talk, but he has to run. So as he is running, Mary Jane sees him from the second story window and he asks her to speak to Gwen, who is still in the trash. While he is having that conversation, Flash Thompson hits him in the head with a football that he does not see. And so he takes a football, throws it on top of a roof, and the football players chase after him. He ends up ducking them, climbing up to the roof of the building, switching into his costume. But by the time that he finally gets downtown, Iron Man has stopped the rhino and someone asks him where he was ten minutes ago. That is how you do a very, very good one-issue story. Classic Peter. Good old Parker Luck. And it is such a good issue. It is a good issue. Like, it's, I have no idea why we got some of the other really weird, like, Bendis stuff that did not work at all in Ultimate Marvel Team-Up. Oh yeah, because when he wants to tell just a good single one-issue story, he can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, all of, or almost all the stories have been really good, but here this was just, like... Because here I feel like it's with the Marvel Team-Up, he was probably experimenting a little bit more. Mm-hmm. To see what worked, what didn't, where only solid gold hits coming out of Ultimate Spider-Man proper. Or he might have been working on those as more of a Marvel style with the uh, artist who he got to pick. Mm, that too. Because a couple were, yeah, much more influenced by the art rather than the story. Yeah, like the uh, Jim Mafood one with yeah. the Fantastic Four. That was a bad issue. Yeah, I'd honestly be really interested to ask him what the process was working on those issues as opposed to Ultimate mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Uh, we then get uh, numbers 29 through 32, which are in the trade collected as public scrutiny. 
We start off with Mr. Ben Yurick, who's at the bank, and he's recognized for the work that he did for the Daily Bugle taking down the Kingpin when Spider-Man comes in and robs the bank, brutally assaulting people and threatening them until he gets his money. Uh, ben Yurick notices a number of strange things, but he still presents the story to Jonah and the rest of the bullpen, and Peter comes in to hear all of this. Uh, ben reveals that he doesn't think it is a real Spider-Man, and he gets into a huge argument with Jonah, but ultimately he goes with them writing the story. Uh, but because they don't have any pictures of the robbery, though, Jonah turns to Peter to use his photos, and the headline, Spider-Man Criminal, is printed. And the way that it's laid out, the newspaper article takes like a fifth of the page just to show the impact that it is having on Peter. And it is such a smart layout. Like, I... It conveys how big of an impact it's having. Mm -hmm. So Peter gets home and he sees a police car outside of the house and he freaks out. And this is our new game. Every time a police car is outside Peter Parker's house, take a drink. Oh, for sure. So he goes inside his house and finds that Gwen is sleeping on the couch. And Captain George Stacy, Gwen's father, is talking to Aunt May. It turns out his wife, Gwen's mom, left at night. And he asks for Aunt May to look after Gwen while he goes off to a conference in Atlantic City. And I I, I sort of know my New York City, but I don't think Atlantic City is that far. I, I think he just wants to go and get turnt with his cop buddies. Cops drinking, cops gambling, cops doing cop things. Oh, absolutely. He wants to do the modern adaptation of Boardwalk Empire. So he can beat Steve Buscemi the Hulk? Hell yeah. And so Mary Jane finds out all this from Peter, and she's upset, partially because she's jealous. I like that they make Mary Jane's eventual reasoning that we get in this arc make a lot more sense, and she asks if he has revealed the secret to her, and he says he didn't, and so she leaves, and Peter is just very confused. Oh, Peter. Don't understand how to be the best superhero. Don't understand the ladies. And then as Peter and MJ study, the news shows another robbery by Spider-Man, who's in a hostage situation. So he gets downtown, but the police start shooting at him immediately, and he ends up taking a bullet to his shoulder. The police cuff him and try to remove his mask, but he manages to escape and break the cuffs, only for a helicopter to follow him until he gets away, hiding in a dumpster, and he calls Mary Jane, who is also dealing with her own trauma. But she covers for Peter and helps him. She shows up in a taxi and helps get him to a hospital where she has to leave him. Peter wakes up after getting patched up, but the cops want to know who he is, so he escapes. When Mary Jane hears them looking for him, she leaves and Peter gets away where they web swing back. So Aunt May goes in to check on Peter and sees him sleeping, but when she leaves... He checks out the TV and finds out that the police are actively now looking for Spider-Man. Meanwhile, at the Atlantic City Police Conference, Spider-Man tries to rob an armored truck and is caught in the sights of Captain George Stacy. And then at school, Peter goes out of class to go to the nurse when he is not feeling well, only to find a mysterious note in his locker directing him to a black van outside the school. <gasps> He ends up finding Janet Van Dyne, who helps use science to fix his gunshot wound. And when he asks her about Harry or if Nick Fury knows anything about the copycat Spider-Man, she says they're a bit too busy, but he should go and kick the ass of whoever has stolen his identity. 
Hell yeah. This is a weird thing. If this is like the order that they told you to read it in, just for where they left Janet Van Dyne last time. I I feel like it would have been before, uh, like, before the Hulk fight. I agree. Well, especially, too, because Ultimates 2, or the second half of the first level of Ultimates kind of takes place right after. Well, I think this falls, like, before the Hulk fight, uh, just because of, like, where the team Not exists. True. And it would have been, like, a really weird way to break up the story. So I think they're trying to do full arcs. Fair. Uh, Peter, MJ, and Gwen walk home, and Gwen calls him out on faking being sick and sneaking around all the time to spend time with Mary Jane until Peter sees another police car in front of his house, and that's when we find out that uh, Captain Stacy is dead. Well, no, Devin, this time it's not a police car. There's like three or Fine. four. There's a ton of police cars, which means four <laughs> drinks. Yes. I mean, how many times does poor Peter probably think that Aunt May is dead? At this stage, like, all done. <laughs> well, especially in this arc, it's like, oh no, Peter. Oh no, what happened to Aunt May? It's like, oh hi, Peter. Some boys in uniform decided to play poker with me. I'm going to totally defund the entire New York City Police Department. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, Peter. The guys really like the cookies I made. Oh, hey, Peter, I'm getting married to all seven police officers that I know. <laughs> Paul Logger me. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, though, Ben Yurick has been trying to get information about these Spider-Man robbers. Spider-Man gets cornered, swears in Spanish after trying to escape, which is weird. After getting shot at and his backpack was hit, so he threw the smoking backpack into the path of a child. And that's when Captain George Stacy sacrifices himself to save the kid. And Peter, being the incredibly classy guy that he is, goes with MJ to talk to Gwen about this. But Peter's really just more concerned about being like, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound like the Spider-Man I know. The Spider-Man that I know is like a really great guy. Uh, You shouldn't worry about this. I mean, I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is great. And Gwen uh, being uh, not given what she needs is just like, yeah, can you leave me alone? And so the next day at work at the Daily Bugle, Peter gets in to find Ben Urich rushing off for another Spider-Man sighting. And so Peter leaves too. And the real Spider-Man swings into the bank to confront his doppelganger. Meanwhile, Aunt May tries to reach out to Ginger, Gwen's mom, who refuses to take her back into custody. And Gwen overhears the conversation. I think that Ginger probably got really fed up with the whole everybody in our family has a G name. Because George, Gwyn, and Ginger. Yeah. Not a great look. Not a good one at all. Uh, But this Mm -hmm. fake Spider-Man tries to take a hostage with a taser, but Peter knocks it from his hand and proceeds to beat the living hell out of this fake Spider-Man. Fake Spidey offers the money he was going to steal to Peter, but then Peter unmasks him and starts to choke him out while he falls unconscious. Captain Jean de Wolf calls everyone to exit the bank, and when the police come in, they find the fake Spider-Man webbed up, confessing to his crimes. But Peter is so upset about how he has lost uh, all sort of control by almost killing this man. When he gets home, he finds... Or finds the climax. Well, th- or that. 
When he gets home, he finally finds Aunt May waiting. They go to talk to Gwen Stacy, and Peter says that they got the fake Spider-Man, and Gwen is prepared to move to where I live now in Minnesota with her only surviving family members. But May offers to take her in. Have you been to the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota? No, but that does exist. I looked it up once. Oh, yeah. They even made t-shirts and bumper stickers based off of what Weird Al described in this song. God, it's even better. I do want to go. No one else seems to know about that, though, I've learned. The uh, song or the actual tourist trap? Both. Hmm. Both. I kept asking, was like, do you guys have the world's biggest ball of twine in Minnesota? And they had not heard of that. I'm like, but it's based off of the Weird Al song. I've always assumed that that was just a true thing. Because that even seems like too weird of a thing for him just to have like made up for that song. Oh, no. And like all the other things that he mentions are real. Yeah. Okay. So it's like only an hour and a half away from Minneapolis. Shit, I should go there this summer. Okay. Yeah, we, we will find some time to take a really dumb road trip and together we'll go to see the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. I should do that right before he comes because he's going to be here to head the state fair this summer. Nice. Yeah. I bet he'll play the song. I hope so. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate it as one of his stylistic parodies as opposed to a straight-up song parody. Yeah, me too. So, Weird Al aside, so the next day at school, Peter and MJ meet, and MJ explains that she is traumatized after she was thrown off the bridge, and she keeps worrying about Peter, and Peter thinks that this is her being jealous about Gwen, and Gwen is like, Peter, that's part of it. But also, no, being thrown off a bridge almost to my death by a green man who is a goblin is not good. And Gwen is also in love with you, and Peter just doesn't understand. And she doesn't want to ignore everything going on like her mom did, and she feels that this relationship is only about Peter, and so she breaks up with him. Which, good on you. You need to take some moments to deal with the trauma. Such as, are you processing the fact that you got thrown off of a bridge by the father of one of our best friends and almost killed? And really, he's just doing a bad job of, like, checking in with her. Because he should be like, MJ, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, MJ? MJ, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, MJ? You've been struck by, you've been thrown off by a bridge by the Green Goblin. Doot, doot. So good for you, Mary Jane. Right. Look at those standards. Mm-hmm. Next thing we know, she'll be working for Tony Stark. No, that's main universe. And also, she had a bunch of jobs in between. Remember when she ran a nightclub? I do. If we're gonna be real, though, that was like the most Mary Jane job. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I believe that you would be good at that. <laughs> So yeah, there's like two really great knocking it out of the park Spider-Man stories. Just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then have <laughs> sort of the opposite of all of this teen drama and nuance with Ultimates 7 through 13, collected in the trade as Homeland Security. And boy, are we going to have a conversation here. It was written by Mark Millar with pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Andrew Curry, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos. So, last time on The Ultimates, 
After the Hulk attacked New York City, things aren't going great. Uh, Bruce Banner finds out that now he is permanently in danger of becoming the Hulk after killing at least 300 people, which I I I just think back to like the Pack and Van Linty run where Amadeus Joe's like, oh yeah, no, I love you, the Hulk, because even though you always cause a lot of damage, you do your best to not kill people. Yeah, this is gritty 2000s reboot Hulk, Luke. This is like time that She-Hulk went mad and killed that entire town of people in her weird purple lingerie. Yeah. God. Uh, that Avengers disassembled thing where She-Hulk uh, was driven mad and into a rage by Scarlet Witch's magics she destroyed a town and her really purple lingerie was just awful especially because they keep refreshing or flashing back to it and it's just like what is that made out of is it like unstable molecules also like it's just a very weird look that you would not want to have if you're going to be potentially going and doing superhero things what story was this then uh it was something that came up during the uh, Dan like, Slot Shield run. Oh, okay. Because when something... she goes crazy and Avengers assemble, she just murders the Vision. Okay, it was something else that had driven her crazy after that. Okay. But it happened in like Avengers, or maybe not Avengers, but one of the books. Okay. It's like a really weird part, but they keep just flashing back to the same scene that they redraw over and over and yeah okay yeah no i don't know that one hey there ultiverse look you heads it's luke from the future who is re-editing the lines that are really bad because his computer was acting up sorry about that you can probably tell the splits uh the story was actually uh what led into search for she-hulk Apparently, she absorbed the energy from Jack of Hearts when he got destroyed, and uh, she kept going cray cray, and so she destroyed the town of Bone, Idaho. Yeah, comics, comics, they're bad. I'm sorry again about the audio quality issues. I'm working on it. Oh, I do want to say I really do like the new design for She-Hulk and Jason Aaron's Avengers, where she's a lot more Hulk. Oh, yeah. Like, way more buff. That's, yes. And a bit more hulky, intelligent. She also gets to make out with Thor, which, good for you, Jen Walters. Mm-hmm. Get it, get it, get it. Anyways, so Bruce Banner does not believe Yaman Branken, who is supposed to be the new second person in charge and when bruce wants to talk to hank pym about this yaman says that tim vanished after he assaulted his wife which indeed yeah so steve meets up with bucky and gail bucky's wife after a funeral to catch up until fury calls him in because they found janet who is suffering from ant bites and was just barely found because she was able to revert back to her normal size and now Hank Pym is on the run. And then meanwhile, Betty Ross, Tony, and Steve get lunch and Betty confesses that she knew that 
Hank and Janet had a history of domestic violence, and she hid it from everybody. And Jesus, Betty, don't do that. Also, Mark Millar, you are very bad for making her do this by writing her this way. He would have not written it this way, or he would have gotten, like, so much shit that he really deserves for doing this. If he did this nowadays! He likes to be edgy for the sake of being edgy sometimes. Like, 80% of the time since he found out it was easier to sell books that way. way. Mm -hmm. When people say comics are bad for trying to be mature, it's because they think that this is mature and it's not? No, it's not. Yeah, you take over. I'm going to take a breather, eat a cigarette. Fancy. Uh, Thor stops in to talk to Fury while Hawkeye, a spy bowboy, and the Black Widow, last seen in that Ultimate Spider-Man team-up book that we covered. Uh, she's a lady spy, and they're hunting aliens, and Captain America goes down to hunt Hank Pym using shield surveillance. Hawkeye and Black Widow assault an office building, killing dozens, and an explosion goes off, leaving Hawk- Hawkeye hanging out on the building as more aliens approach, so he and Black Widow work together to take them out. That night, Fury introduces the pair to Tony and Thor, since they are going to be new public ultimates, while Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, uh, as the Brotherhood of uh, Evil Mutants, will be on the Black Ops Um, team. Here it's just the Brotherhood of Mutants. They don't do the evil part. Fine. This is also where we really get more hints about the incestuous relationship between Quicksilver and Wanda, and there's a recurring bit about Quicksilver moving to help them, but they have... uh, to slow the tapes to see it. I, I think that's like a genuinely good bit. Because like you do never see Quicksilver or Scarlet Witch at all during these issues. Yeah. And he could be reasonable, but he's just enough of an asshole that you don't trust him. Yeah. Uh, Fear then goes into the presentation about how the Chitari are responsible for a lot of genocides, including the Nazis during World War II, because they can transform into humans... And they also use the nukes on Japan. Or sorry, and also the nukes that were used on Japan were to try to destroy the... And now I'm going to take a minute because, Mark, what are you doing? What are you doing, Mark? Those are actual horrible atrocities that happened. You also say that the Chitari later on were responsible for the Holocaust, and that is not great either. Like, don't make these horrible things that we did the cause of aliens, because then the question becomes, why did those things also happen IRL in this world that we live in, where we have done horrible atrocities? You can just say that people are shit. You don't need to justify it with aliens, and... Mm, Don't do that shit. Don't do that shit. Don't do that shit. He's just a bad Scottish boy, Luke. Yeah, apparently he lacks a lot of, like, empathy and understanding for all these things that he is writing, which is not a great look for anybody. Anyways, uh, Nick Fury thought that the Chitauri were all dead after World War II, but they've been turning back up recently and have a secret base in Micronesia, and that is where they are going to take them down. As they are preparing for the mission, S.H.I.E.L.D. informs Nick Fury that they have tracked Captain America to the bar where Hank Pym is hiding out, and Captain America takes him out of the bar. Pym doesn't want to fight, but Captain America forces Hank Pym to become big and fight, so then Captain America can just defy knocking his teeth out and dropping heavy pipes on him. Knocking it. Good number of teeth out. 
Yeah. Uh, Bruce and Betty talk and catch up about Pym and also some alien conspiracies, like how they're trying to sabotage nuclear programs and they're poisoning nervous systems with artificial sweeteners and they are microchipping kids. So, like, like universe QAnon is probably correct, which is not super great. Like all those crazy right wing conspiracy people, they be kind of correct that there is an evil organization that is trying to mess with kids and everything else. And... Is that what QAnon is? Sort of. Okay. They're like the ultra-conspiracy-driven right-wing wings. There's a secret person in the Trump administration who's secretly sending the messages through everything happening, and it's going to lead to white supremacists fully taking over the government and arresting Hillary Clinton and all of the other people. Oh, that's great. Who they say... Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Oh. Didn't age well, Mark. It did not age well. Uh, also, Tony and Black Widow talk, and they comment about how Hawkeye calls his loved ones to say goodbye before every mission. So Tony drinks before every mission. The alcohol is his family. Mm-hmm. Cap goes on to visit Janet, who doesn't want to be on the team anymore as a hero, and calls him out for beating up Hank and asks him to leave. Mostly because he didn't do it for her. He did it because he wanted to feel like a big man. Cap returns. Thor leaves early to go with Mjolnir, which can transport people as it is time to battle. Uh, we then flash back to Captain America fast facing off against Herr Kleiser, a Chitari, as he hangs at a train that holds part of a super weapon, which Cap rigged to explode. One year later, he found out that the plant that he had been going for uh, er, sorry about that plant, and then that's where he would end up getting frozen, which we talked a little bit about at the very beginning of the first Ultimates. And mm-hmm. there's a bit with pre-references to him being frozen while the ca- carriers move in closer. Yeah, like, the, the jokey bits are good, but they really don't fit well with the tone of, of like everything else. Yeah, that's why I liked Ultimates 2 better. Janet gets out of bed when nobody was coming to check on her, which she found suspicious, and when the nurses try to kill her, she shrinks down and escapes because it turns out they are Chitauri sleeper agents. <sighs> Meanwhile, she would arrive on the island, and despite what the side division said, there is nobody there, and as Wasp sends them a warning that the aliens are actually at the Triskelion, the base for S.H.I.E.L.D., a, a mass explosion goes off, and Kleiser reveals that he is still alive, and he is the one leading attack. He captures Janet, gloats about his victory, flies off to their secret base, and reveals that all the conspiracies that Betty talked about are real, which still kind of a great bit that like all the crazy conspiracies are good, just not great that we still have people who are actively loudly believing in those conspiracies when, you know, there's not actual aliens or supervillains. But how was Mark Millar supposed to know that 14 years ago? He has the internet. Uh, yeah. Also, Kleiser reveals that to assume the human form, they have to eat the people whose forms they take, and he plans to eat Janet for some good old queer code in your villains. And then the ships end up launching against Kleiser's wishes because the Chitari who aren't on the planet 
don't have time to effectively wait for all their brainwash plans, and so they just plan to kill everybody on the planet. And Kleiser isn't going to, going to be able to use Janet's body. Like, the way that it weirdly escalates here doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, they're now going to blow up the entire planet for some reason. That'll show us. <laughs> I guess. We never saw that coming. <laughs> So with 45 minutes on the clock before the bomb is going to go off, Thor and the Ultimates and the soldiers he was able to save reappear in the Thunder, and Captain America calls every soldier and theoretically every military to join them in the fight, the fight against the mates. Aw, oh, man. Captain America then impales Kleiser on the cone of a jet fighter and explodes it, destroying a ship that costs somewhere around 40 to $50 million when it runs into some oil tankers. Kleiser survives, and the two fight, and the clock continues to tick down. I, I put in that 40 to $50 million note because I wanted to see how much collateral damage Captain America was doing here. Also, the type of planes that they were using got retired in 1998, so what should you doing, Mark? Mark? Come on, Mark. Come on, Mark. Though, I guess if it's the secret Jatari base that they're actually on at the time, it might make sense that they don't have super up-to-date weapons so possibly good on you mark thor meanwhile is causing collateral damage as he single-handedly brings down the entire fleet fury meanwhile turns invisible and surprises kleiser by shooting him in the head but he survives once again heals and then knocks fury back tony meanwhile tries to redirect one of the following ships and is helped by some soldiers and they help him recharge which knocks out most of the power grid and then there's the bit where the black kid gives Tony a thumbs up and Tony gives it right back. And that's when Tony leaves the soldiers pushing the kid down. It's such a weird bit. Like, I, I, I get that it's maybe a bit of realism, but I'm not supposed to, I, I, I don't know what it's supposed to post on it. Like, why would you put that in there? Is it soldiers are also assholes? Probably. So Black Widow and Janet, meanwhile, made their way into the weapon controls. They have to kill all the Chitari, and they struggle to figure out how to stop the weapon. As the clock ticks down, Kleiser proceeds to attack Captain America and asks him to surrender. So Captain America bisects him with his shield and says the dumb movie line, Do you think this A on my head stands for friends? Which is dumb. It is a bad, dumb awesome movie line. I love that line. That's still a great line. It's dumb. Okay, Nick Fury. Yeah. It, it, it does not make sense, though, because of Cap had fought among the French. Like, French people were some of the hardest fighters because their country had been invaded. They did not surrender. So, fuck you, Steve. Bam. And then we get out. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm calling Steve out, and I'm calling Colin out. And then Fury calls in soldiers to send in Bruce Banner. They toss him out of a plane, and when he lands, the Hulk comes out as Kleiser gets back up. And Captain America tells Fury to leave. Hulk initially attacks Captain America, but then Cap says that Kleiser was touching Betty, and so Hulk and Kleiser fight. Which, mm, I don't like Ultimate Hulk. I do not not like Hulk. 
15 minutes left. Janet and Natasha call, call Tony Stark for help with the bombs. They can't understand the language. Language Air Force arrives to take over a lot of what Tony was doing. That's when the Hulk then decapitates Kleiser and eats him. And then once again, with Cat's American continuing to be a dick, tells the Hulk that the ship pilot's called Hulk a sissy. And Hulk, being the worst, chases after him because Hulk's not a sissy. Hulk straight. <sighs> Tony, meanwhile, gets to the bomb. He is unable to stop it, so he calls Thor to teleport it away. And Thor sends it to hell. That'll be a nice present that he just sent Hela. To Natasha's mm-hmm. disbelief because people still question Thor being Thor. As Hulk finishes the last of the ships and starts to run, Hawkeye shoots him with the cure, and so an angry Hulk jumps at the helicopter, and a sleeping Bruce Banner lands in Hawkeye's lap. Quicksilver and Wanda celebrate, claiming that they were also in the battles if you slow down the footage and the ultimate celebrate their Independence Day. I believe you mean, this is our Independence Day. You know, like how Bill Pullman says it in the movie Independence Day about their Independence Day. I'm not as good as Bill Pullman, Luke. Well, I still believe in you, definitely. Thanks, Luke. That's what Bill would want. And that's what I want. So Bruce ends up back in confinement, and he has trouble that he ate Kleiser and presumably some other people. And Betty also is turned on by the fact Bruce ate some people. Uh, there's also people who think that S.H.I.E.L.D. faked the invasion, which is a nice inversion because they faked the Hulk attack, essentially, and Captain America and Fury celebrate the war being over. Uh, yeah. Janet gets a call from Hank, who wants to break up, and then at the White House, Natasha decided she wants to hook up with Tony Stark. Captain America and Janet share a dance and a kiss, and Fury celebrates his job well done in the Oval Office. And that's the end of Ultimates, Volume 1. There certainly is a lot there. That book was later remade into the first Ultimate Avengers cartoon. I liked that movie. They cleaned up some of the stuff that wasn't as... that didn't age as well in that film. And they also made it a bit more appropriate for more audiences. True, that was a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I mean, that's that's mostly what people do Mike Miller stuff. They make movies by cutting out a lot of the more controversial stuff uh but you know what we're going to not cut out Devin. where we rank these on the list no no we got listener questions oh man all right so wolf child 74 the unknown listener wants to know is ultimate cap worse than hydra cap Hydra Cap is worse because he is an actual Nazi and he is like completely evil and he staged the takeover of the United States. Well, I think Ultimate Cap eventually does. Which Cap is this? Hydra Cap. Oh, Hydra Cap. Yeah, from No, because Ultimate Cap later becomes president. Yeah, so Hydra Cap is. Yeah, Hydra Cap becomes worse. Oh, yeah. Or Hydra Cap is worse. Yeah. Uh, what is our favorite Ultimate Spider-Man villain take? We haven't covered a lot of them right now. Uh, Wolf Chun 74 says they like Hobgoblin and Mysterio, who we have not gotten to yet. I was going to say, I did like the Hobgoblin. I 
I don't remember a lot of the stuff, but so far I've liked Hobgoblin's great, Carnage was handled really basically everyone's handled very well. Alright. Because Carnage is not just boring as Cletus Cassidy. But Devin, Devin is gonna be Carnage. Boo. I I think they should replace Woody Harrelson in Venom 2 with Charlie Day. And be like, no, that wasn't Cletus Cassidy. Charlie Day is Cletus Cassidy. And then it can just be... I agree, because I feel like Woody would be a really good villain, just not specifically Carnage. Up next... Tucker, a.k.a. The Beverage, a.k.a. Drinky Boy, a.k.a. The Bev, a.k.a. Beverly Clearly, wants to say the A stands for apples. So thank you. Uh, Play Comics podcast. It's not a question. Strict that from the episode. No, we will give Tucker has had us on his show before, so we can support him. And he needs to interact more with the show. So we're calling you out. We may not be Neo scum, but we sure are garbage. Right, Devin? Yes. Uh, and then Play Comics Podcast wants to know, if you were an, if you were an imposter Spider-Man, how would you explain away your lack of powers? I don't think most people know the powers that Spider-Man has, except for the webs. And this imposter Spider-Man had them. They have not explained that yet. I don't know if they actually end up doing that or not, though. I would agree. I mean, yeah, quite truthfully, the only one that you couldn't fake is Sp- the spider sense. And even then, Spider-Man has replicated with technology before. Mm-hmm. And I agree, not everyone knows that he has that. Mm-hmm. They may just think he has very good reflexes, like spiders are known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, now it is time for Ultiversal Q Rankings. Are you ready, Devin? Let's rank them, Luke. Uh, so this week we have three stories. Up first is Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1, number 28, Sidetracked. And currently we have 25 stories on the list. I I kind of want to put this above Legacy. Like, it's short, but I think it gets across who Spider-Man is. Mm-hmm. So is it going to be our new number one for right now? I think so, Luke. And bump it up. Uh, then I think we are going to have our second new number one in this uh, episode with Public Scrutiny, numbers 29 through 32. Damn, son. Put it there. Put it there. Well. <laughs> oh, Eat your heart out, Matt. And Chris. We're getting through the list of three very fast. Well, except that we also spent like 40 minutes going over everything uh and then we have ultimates part two uh volume one uh we have the first part of the ultimates on here what's that a third number one (laughs) (laughs) no i think my ceiling is going to be maybe return to weapon x it's better than that i i don't want to put it above ultimate spider-man volume one one through seven power and responsibility no that's fair 
because while it's I will say this, the second part of Ultimates Volume 1 is fun and entertaining, but it got a lot of stuff that did not age well and was probably not even good when it came out, just because of the nature of what it is. Probably. I still like when they, the second volume of Volume 2 when they fight the evil Ultimates. Well, we are not going to be getting to that for a while truth because there's a long break in between publications of that yeah but like that time when it took mark millar like a fucking year to put out two two issues the mark millar story story uh but that's like every mark millar story i have my one of i think it's issue three of kick-ass volume two where marvel essentially wrote a fucking apology page (laughs) because of mark millar and his delays well uh do you know what we're covering next time on all tiverse oq more spider-man and also iron man's uh so oh yeah oh but now we're hitting that yep yes the orson scott card uh iron man that then doesn't matter yep uh we're also because it was dumb also you know what else is going to be devin Time for some ultimate. There's going to be Venom. Uh, but before that, we are going to have a special episode of Multiversal Q as part of a two part crossover with the Super Sons podcast where we're going to be talking about Shazam! And those episodes are going, are going to be wild. You get multiple songs at us from those. That was a good two part. It was. Uh it 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 is ridiculous. So that uh Shazam special is going to be going up next Thursday. And then the following Sunday we will be back with another episode. And then the week after that we are going to have a Hellboy special uh where we're bringing back on, on Rising Star Star the movie and YouTube world uh Suchi, who's not been for a while. But I'm forward to having her back on the show. So, Devin, I think we did pretty good here. Me too. I think we can go into the White House and uh, go look at some fireworks. I agree. But before we do that, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Fred Ofet, that's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T, and Luke, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Poltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. You can also find both of us on the Exiled Podcast at exiledpodcast.com, our weekly actual play podcast where we, along with some other friends, go and have fun adventures. Uh, yesterday, part one of our Hellcat special went up, so if you want to see Devin, myself, and some of our other good role-playing game friends, doing a teen drama that will be in two parts, you are, like, going to be super excited about that. You can also find me on the RPG podcast, uh, RPGPals Club at RPGPals.club. And, you know, John Wiggy might be coming back soon. Um, There's a third one coming up. Yeah, but there just hasn't been an episode for a while because we've been really busy and... It's a good premise, but I'm busy with everything else that I do. 
I am excited for John Wick 3. Just have me on so I can talk about why Keanu's the best. He already did. Did you know that Octavia Spencer is like his biggest fan? I found that out the other day. I did not. That was a great We did do a Keanu Reeves episode, though. And I... Apparently, it's because... um, Because when Octavia Spencer was moving to L.A. from Alabama, she was going to go to like her first audition. Her car broke down. She was stuck on the side of the road. It was a dingy car, so no one wanted to help her. Except for Keanu Reeves pulled over and offered and pushed her car to get her some help. Did you also see see one uh, where, like, there's a story where he got a bunch of people who had been stranded at an airport to get back to the airport hub off of the plane? I did. That was this past week. I know. Keanu Reeves is, like, a fantastic person. IRL. We did an episode on him, and I got to learn a lot more. Uh, Keanu's had life. Yeah, he has. But I'm excited for the the newbie. Also, also, he has not seen uh, Bill and Ted. And Classic. I know she also says that she thinks it's the same movie as Wayne's World. Oh, Jesus, no. First off, they are superior to Wayne's World. And I don't believe there was an animated cartoon. I don't think so. Where there is an animated cartoon of Bill and Ted. Where for all 24 episodes, they were still voiced by George Carlin, Alex Winter, and Keanu Reeves. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yes, but apparently Octavia Spencer now officially goes and sees every Keanu Reeves movie opening weekend. (laughs) Nice. You've seen the trailer for Ma, right? Yes. That I appreciate her doing a weird as hell uh swerve for that after she's had to be like the sort of uh magical negro type character in a few movies mm-hmm. like uh yeah slash being used as that essentially too for the making of green book mm-hmm. so oh, look she's not a producer that means this was okay yeah. Uh anyways. Uh go see Keanu Reeves and John Wick 3. Coming coming theaters. And we will catch you on, on flip mode. Peace. Whoa.